0: Don't forget to rate us on iTunes so we can continue to bring great content to you. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us. My name is Robin Maggio, and I'd like to welcome you to our webinar, Project-Based Learning and ADHD. Today's webcast is part of Chad's National Resource Center on ADHD's Ask the Expert series. NRC is funded by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and provides reliable, science-based information about current medical research and ADHD management. It is a pleasure to introduce today's expert, Susan Kologi. Susan is the academic director and a teacher at Novitas Academy, a private therapeutic school for boys with learning differences located near Boise, Idaho. She works there with teachers and students on implementing project-based learning to provide an alternative form of education. Susan completed her doctorate in education at the University of Idaho where she worked with undergraduate students preparing to be teachers. Her dissertation research focused on project-based learning with various types of learners. Again, we are pleased to welcome Susan.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, And thanks for being here with me this afternoon. Um, I really do want to thank Chad. Also, um, I've been a presenter at their conferences. I was in Attention Magazine. And now I'm super honored to be um, doing this webinar. So I will go ahead and get started. So, my first slide this is um, the view out my window. However, not currently, we don't have any snow on the ground. Um, But my biography definitely tells me, um, tells you guys about who I am and what I've done. Um, So, I just wanted to show you a little scope of what I get to see out my window every day. On the agenda, I want to touch on a few things, just share, you, share with you a little bit of research on project-based learning, but I won't go really in-depth because something I've noticed um, over the times I've presented is people really have questions about, well, how do I do it? Or how do I write the driving question? Or what do I actually do in the classroom? So I want to focus some of the time today on that um, and give you guys resources so you can start to do it in your classroom as well. So typically when I present at conferences I like to bring uncooked spaghetti and marshmallows and I start out the presentation with how do tension and compression affect the structure of a building so I have participants group up and try and build the tallest freestanding structure with the materials I do this even before I introduce myself and I have you know the groups just you know answer that question So without having you all rush to your kitchen and find uncooked spaghetti and marshmallows, I'll just talk you through how it's gone. So again, I present the question and then I give them their materials. So they're to build the tallest freestanding structure with the materials. And the goal is to answer the question, how do tension and compression affect the structure of a building? So here are a few pictures of one of the conferences I did this at and there are two different sizes of marshmallows so we had the regular size and then smaller size Um, and then it's interesting to walk around and see not only the structures that they build but how they alter the materials they have sometimes they'll break the pieces of spaghetti or they'll pull the marshmallows apart Um, and it's just a fun way to get everybody involved and thinking about doing this with their students so Project-based learning really comes down to this idea of constructing knowledge. And this is how I started my research and my love for this idea um, of project-based learning and constructivism, just constructing the knowledge by doing something. So Dewey has this quote for us that I love. Um, Learning should be meaningful and relevant to the students because they will be eager to find out more about what they are learning and therefore can draw from these experiences. And, you know, when you hear that, you might be thinking, well, of course, that's what education's about. But this is a great way that students can participate, have experiences, and then create that structure of basic knowledge and skills for problem solving. So kind of working our way down from the constructivist philosophy, there's active learning and collaborative learning and project or problem-based learning. And there's a little bit of a difference, but a problem-based learning starts with a problem that you need to figure out. And then project-based learning, there's a question or a standard that you can branch off from, but how you present the information at the end is a little different. So these are all great things that a lot of people, and most of you, I'm sure, are doing inside of your classrooms. Um, so again, I just want to give some structure and help, help give you resources to do it. A definition of project-based learning, I underlined the important words here, um, but basically students are learning through extended inquiry, so not just during one class period, but maybe for a couple weeks, um, through answering questions and researching, and then they create some type of final product. Hence, the project-based learning part. Um, The great part is it's central to the curriculum, so it connects great to standards, and I'll give you an example of that. There's a driving question, and this is really the big idea of how to get started and how to do project-based learning. Uh, The students give them resources, they investigate, they research, and they do it without the teacher necessarily directing it. The teacher's more of that facilitator of knowledge, and helping them find what they need to find. So there's also a lot of realism there. And I know most of us are teachers, but you know when you go into the workforce, you're always doing some type of project and you need to communicate with other people and you need to be organized and, and show your work. So it's a, it's a really good way to demonstrate what real life is for some of these kids. And the very last point on here is the ultimate integration, and that's what I really like to call it because it it incorporates all your subjects. Um, it connects great to you know unit plans and scope and sequence that you might already have ready. So, and I will give you some examples of that in a little bit. So, without going too much about how great project-based learning is and all of the research on it, I just want to give an overview of skills that are necessary but also are gained and strengthened through participation and project-based learning so there's a lot of motivation if you can get that buy-in from the students the problem solving um, the critical thinking skills those are really important and kids tend to do better on standardized tests and tests within the classroom because they've developed those problem-solving skills and those critical thinking, so they can try and figure out how to answer different questions that they might not know the answer to. Something really important for my students is the time management and the social skills. Um, I'll t- talk about my boys in a little bit, but these are really key for a lot of students nowadays, even in the world of technology. When we want to show them how to use it appropriately in the classroom, but also communicate with those around us. Um, It gives a sense of autonomy and choice, so students not only do they have the buy-in, but they can be independent and work together as a team at the same time. Uh, And, of course, incorporating 21st century skills, you know, kind of a big and important buzzword. Um, You know, you can incorporate as much technology as you have available or not at all. So, again, it's just kind of how you structure it as a teacher. So this is the basic backbone in the process of project-based learning. Basically, you as the teacher set it up. You create your driving question. um, Either you or the students could create groups, and then some type of an assessment. So have the students help you make a rubric of what's expected, or have a rubric that you have, and then have them create a rubric. Um, And then creating, you want to, of course, give them the resources allow the students to work together and to research, and then have them, you know, give them some independence to negotiate the curriculum. Yeah, we need to follow our standards and, our, and of the curriculum that we're given, but have them ask questions and, and allow them to go in different places that you, know, you may not normally do during the normal school um, in your classroom. And then at the end, there's a final product. Um, I encourage movies and videos that we can put on YouTube, but not a lot of students are into that. So we see a lot of presentations like PowerPoint or Prezi. So sometimes I'll suggest to students that, okay, this time we are not going to use PowerPoint, so we need to find some other medium to show all of your knowledge. So at the end, there's a presentation turn in the final project, and then there's some type of an assessment. Um, These next two slides have a lot of information on them, but I just wanted to share them with you. These are um, handouts that I've given out at different conferences on how a teacher can set it up, and then the next slide is how um, you can explain it to the students. So, and I do have my email on the last slide. If you would like this handout and a little more information, I'll, send me an email and I'd be more than happy to pass it on to you. So, this first one again is the teacher's guide. So, you're going to select a topic, you know, try and integrate subjects with it, make those real life connections. Um, I'll show you an example of a current event project that I've done in the past that worked out really great. Um, Decide on and define your objectives. You know, just as you're setting up your regular unit plans, you want to have these, you know, what the students are going to learn from the project. Creating a driving question. And I will show you how to select or create your own driving question. So my example was, how do tension and compression affect the structure of a building? Deciding on a time frame. So how much time do you have? How much time can you dedicate to the project? So I typically talk about project-based learning and what it looks like. So to the visual eye, you walk in a classroom and kids are everywhere doing everything, and it looks like chaos. But if, if you really get to know what they're doing, they could be doing a large project over time and working with other people. But it also can be within one classroom. For your class period. So maybe you just have an hour-long project. Maybe it's a week in one classroom, or maybe you do a week over two, two different subjects. Um, it's great when you can get the whole school involved or a whole grade involved and do this long project that goes throughout the quarter or the semester or even the year. So there's some schools that, that specialize in that as well to get um you know, the whole school ready to go, and they answer one big, driving question. So it looks different for everybody. What will the final project look like? This is where you want to give the students the freedom to show what they know. And that's how I explain it to them. You know, what do you want them to gain? So you look back to your objectives and then ask them to create something that shows you as the teacher that they've gained that knowledge. Look at your resources. This is, you know, one of the toughest parts about being a teacher is finding the resources and the time that we that we need, um, but utilize whatever you have. So if you have two computers in your classroom, then use those. Um, look at the physical space that you're in. If you have desks, push them to the side and use the floor. So it's all about taking advantage of the resources that you do have. And then, um, this is great for kids with ADHD, and I'll come back to this later. Is prepare a student checklist. So give them what they need to do and make it visible, make it hands on, have big check boxes so they can check it off. Um, any way to help them keep organized. So, this one's more of what I talk about with the students. And I share these two handouts with parents, um, with students, with other visitors to the school so they can see, you know, kind of the preparation that goes into this. And project based learning takes a little bit more time and effort on the front end for teachers, but you actually do a little bit less work throughout the whole process. So it's a nice kind of break to just sit and watch your students work. So, again, this is what I give my students and talk about. Here's our driving question. Let's create some groups. And I always say a group of one is okay. This is kind of my philosophy because my boys don't really, I mean, they have a lot of social stuff going on, so they don't necessarily want to work with another person. But if that's a goal of your project, then require them to be in groups of two or more. So just any way that you can get the students, Working together and discussing the information, that's really the important part. Creating your assessment or some type of rubric. A rubric, again, you know, it's an easy way to go, but use something that you already use in your classroom and that you're familiar with. Explain the process to the students, and this is pretty key for a lot of students who have never done this full-on project-based learning before. So if you're a high school teacher, it may be a little bit more difficult to go back to the basics of, okay, how do you organize as a group? How do you work together? Uh, But those are important conversations to have. And um, having that process there, if they're used to it, it'll be easier and easier over time. So you want to scaffold it as much as you can. And then students, of course, they present their information and assess, you know, their project and other projects as well as their presentations. So it's a great way to have that peer community. And if you have that safe space set up, they will feel comfortable doing it. With my students, a lot of them are afraid to give up, get up and give a speech but we've made this part of just how we do school so we don't even have a speech class because students are always up talking in front of each other so it's a great way to to integrate all of those subjects together Mm -hmm. so looking at driving questions this is the meat of project-based learning this is what you want them to know so it clearly states the purpose of the project it focuses you on what you need to do and then it's linked to the core of what you're supposed to learn. So of course, right, that's the whole point. We know we need to teach math, so we're gonna teach math. So my favorite part, well, one of my favorite parts of PBL is that it connects great to the standards and provides differentiation in the actual process. So all of the standards really connect really well to a project that you are doing. And the easiest way is to turn that standard that you're focusing on into the actual driving question. Here are some examples, and there's different types of questions, but I just wanted to show you some examples. Don't get caught up on all the theoretical stuff. Um, just use these as examples. So these are some of my favorite ones to read. When is war justified? Should art be censored? What makes a book a classic? So. All of these things, they take a lot of time to answer and a lot of research, and it kind of combines all of the things that we really want them to gain, those critical thinking skills and research and working with other people to be able to answer these. So with this one here at the bottom, under Design Challenge, it says, how would we design a museum exhibit about the Vietnam War so that it appeals to the diverse group groups in our community? So that's going to connect to a standard that we're going to see in history. Here's an example of current events, and this is one I've done with my students, but I've also done it with the parents. So hurricanes are powerful at times. That is a um, typo right there. So hurricanes are powerful and at times potentially catastrophic natural phenomena. Why do some communities respond better than others? So, again, taking this current event, back in November, October, and November, um, when Hurricane Matthew was off of the coast, we wanted students to really gain an understanding of, you know, what is a hurricane and why all of these things happen, and why do some communities respond better than others? So each student took on a role of a governor, an engineer, a citizen, or a meteorologist, and they researched hurricanes from that perspective. So they had their own take on not only what hurricanes were and the damage that they do, but also how they would respond. So they presented it to the class, and they were able to gain all kinds of knowledge about hurricanes and be able to answer this question. So the last point is I had parents do this um, at a parent workshop. And, you know, I I get a lot of comments from parents saying, like, well, I don't know about project-based learning. It kind of sounds great, but I don't think, you know, my students are actually going to learn all of what they need to learn. So the best way I can show them is to have them participate and see how much they really do learn. So the parents loved it. Um, So if you're able to do that, I would um, highly recommend that. Another example that I've done, more standards-based, it's probably my favorite one to talk about, is World War I, the war to end all wars, and the project to end all projects, trench warfare. So the question was, how does necessity promote innovation and strength during warfare? So again we're centered on historical concepts of World War 1. And originally the students were going to make a trench, you know, a model from clay or some other you know supplies we can find around the school. But we ended up digging actual trenches in our backyard, and I know not everyone can do this, but it was fantastic to watch the boys get really excited about digging dirt and creating these trenches. So it was really great to see all of our subjects also come together. So I required as a math teacher that the trenches needed to be one third the size of the originals. In speech class, we were doing persuasive speeches. So they needed to write write a speech and you know, convince people whether to go to war or not. And in health, we were even doing public health policy. So it incorporated all these great subjects. A lot of um, my students actually have a fascination with war and war is so exciting and cool and there's explosions. So we wanna use that interest, but we also want to help them realize that it's real life and you know, it breaks up families and people die. So we wanted to really emphasize that it's a serious thing. So we had students research and write a biography for a soldier at that time. And with the biography, they also wrote a eulogy. So after we reenacted the battle with paintball, um, we had a ceremony that was actually on Veterans Day where the eulogies were read. So again, using that interest, but then showing them that it's real life and it's really important. And then these last two examples I'll give of mine Our summer programs are centered around a big trip that the boys take. So our curriculum for that summer is focused on, and it stems from, what they've learned there. So last year, the students went to the San Juan Islands off the coast of Washington. So before they went, they learned about the ecology, the history, the anthropology, all kinds of information about that area. I think we read hatchet, so it was a great introduction to survival. Math included budgeting, tides of the moon phases, angles and arcs of the kayaks, and any other math concept we could put in there. So the students went there and then they came back, and the rest of the summer we focused on branching off, so looking at other areas that have similar science or have similar ecology, or maybe there was a Native American tribe that also was in a different area. So being able to branch off from there. And then it actually ended with this game of survival. So we looked at how cultures and other people have survived in strenuous situations. And then we had a survivor game on campus where they needed to create a shelter, find food, and then find clean water. Um, so I gave them six hours and I said, see you at the end of the day. Um, so they broke up into groups and were very successful at showing all the information that they've learned. The second one, Green River, Utah, the students just returned from that last week. And we included wilderness first aid, so there was a lot of education involved with that. But we decided that as a team, all of the students were a research team so we wanted to send out some of our scientists to green river to collect data to bring back so when they came back we talked about the different roles and the different job descriptions so we had a biologist and a geologist we had a cartographer who followed the map and and marked where they put in and where they camped so they were able to present their information to everybody, even the students who didn't get to go. They were included in that process. And this week we just started branching off into civilizations that are created around rivers. So each student now has a river that they've picked and they need to include the science and the history and the anthropology around that area and why it's created there. So um, it's just a great way, and this is, full on the whole school for the whole summer. So again, Project Based Learning can be a simple, you know, one hour activity or a whole semester or a few month project. So, I know we can't be very interactive on here, but I want you to think about making your own driving question. And actually I see a question in the Q&A box and I can answer it right here. So, Who um, comes up with the questions? Well, I think the teacher obviously needs to have an idea of where you're going, but of course, have the students involved with that. You might even get more buy-in. So thinking of a standard or an objective or something that you are familiar teaching over and over again, and think about how you can turn that standard into a question rather than just a statement and I'll give you an example, but I'm gonna give you a minute to think about it too. And you can even use a similar formula when you write your objectives, you know, how you have your A, B, C, and D. Um, Pick your framing words. So how can you do something? A person, you know, it's usually we, or as a school, an action, so what are you gonna do? And then who are you doing it for? So audience, and that ties in a lot of English right there you know, writing per your audience. So I'm looking at my app on um, the standards. There's a really great one from Common Core. There's also a next-gen science standards. So I pulled a standard um, from sixth to eighth grade and it's writing history. So it's gather relevant information from multiple sources. Well, that's a pretty easy one. So if I go back, to the uh, questions that I gave and the one that I read to you. How can we design a museum exhibit about, and I changed it to World War I, so that it gives accurate information, and then the students need to design it. So that's the great part, is you can use what you're already using, but frame it as a question. So now I wanna jump in and talk a little bit about the ADHD part and how you can support that in the classroom. So my school specializes in kids with learning differences, and they're all boys, so I typically say my boys. So all of them have ADHD. So I have 12 kids running around ADHD, and they look the same on paper, but every single one of them look different. And we all know this. On paper, they look the same, but in person, they're very different. So we all know characteristics of ADHD. That's probably why we're here today. So we have all these different traits that we see behaviorally, cognitively, or emotionally, and it looks like it could be really dysfunctional to do PBL with these kids. But I've actually found that there is some advantages to doing project-based learning with ADHD kids. So I this is not super relevant, but this is from my research, and I wanted to show you how different learners can be successful in project-based learning. So I studied cognitive styles, and I focused specifically on field dependency, which is basically the ability to separate contextual information. So in this Idea. There's two different learners. Some people view it as a continuum, and some people view it as two separate entities. So field-independent, they easily and individually separate relevant information. Or more field-dependent, relies on context and social interactions. So right there, I see both things being pros and positives for project-based learning. So if we look at some of the differences, between these two ideas, the independent students or people, and you're probably trying to think, okay, which one am I? And there's some great tests out there, so if you're interested in this, go for it. So field independent people will find the relevant information. They pick out the important parts right away. They're very active, they're learner-centered, they create an organization when it's already unstructured. they are great working independently, so I see a lot, of, a lot of positives. That's going to work really well with PBL. You know, finding the information, being active, learner-centered, um, and a little bit of autonomy there. On the right side, feel dependent. People tend to focus on the whole context, and they piece together all of everything that's in this idea. They're a little more passive. They pick up on the socially relevant information. They use existing organization, and they work really great with other people. So again, I'm seeing a lot that does have positives and works great with PBL. So I really did wanna show you that, you know even though this is a little different from ADHD, but different types of learners can be successful. So, here's a couple of pictures from my school and we have a lot of water around us, so we do water testing quite a bit for science experiments. We have a fantastic artist that comes in and works, and the boys were actually making powder horns, and we started our own greenhouse and garden, so the students were planting seeds and um, placing them in the greenhouse. So. In these pictures, it looks pretty organized, but I don't think, I guess the artist is in that one, but we don't even see the teacher in these pictures because the students are all working together with the teacher kind of on the side. But they've taken so much information and their brains are going faster and in different ways, but they can help each other narrow that down and be successful at a project. Here's a few more. Um, we had some flooding over the past couple months. So, in these middle pictures, some students were out there measuring for, um, you know, flooding and how we need to prepare for that. So, we actually turned that into another PBL where the whole school put together a plan, an evacuation plan, basically, is if we flooded, what would we need to do? So, you can see sandbags on the pathway, and that was something that they came up with. So again, using that real-life application. On the left side, that was the beginning of the greenhouse, so the boys actually designed it, they did all the research and the budget, and then they built it, and then we're tilling the garden down below. And the garden is growing nicely, and I just had my first green onion out of there, so it's been great. And then on the right side, even something as simple as making kites out of garbage bags, they picked up on those skills and that problem solving of what they need to do. So it's a matter of giving them a task, but not telling them how to do it. The how is what they need to figure out. So supporting ADHD, the organization um, is probably one of the biggest stressors for me, I know. So any way that you organize your classroom already, I would say utilize that. So if you use folders and cubbies, or if you have binders with um, a lot of tabs and dividers, use what you already have, but make sure you work the student step-by-step through that process. So saying, all right, let's put it in our binder, you know, it's the end of class, now let's put it back in our cubby. So just giving those extra directions that you normally would anyway for the kids with ADHD and having it you know, written down, saying it verbally, asking the students, okay, what are we doing now? And how are we gonna do it? So you're gonna use that same type of support with these kids, but you might say it a little bit differently. And then <laughs> unstructured structure. Um, sounds pretty crazy, but that's really what it is. You want to give them that framework that is pretty structured. So this works really well with students who've never participated in project-based learning, so it gives them an idea of what they're doing, but if they're used to it, you may only use this with kids with ADHD or other executive functioning deficits. So a checklist is is a great way to go. You can make A big checklist calendar that goes on the wall, something everybody can see, um, or they have their own checklist or an outline. And then the freedom to work. So think about how much time, where you want to do it, what your space looks like. If you have tables in your classroom, that's great. If you don't, just push the desks aside and use the floor. Go outside. So, again, utilize the resources that you have and just try it out not only should you scaffold the students into this, but kind of scaffold yourself. Um, Don't go all in at your first time doing it, but just take it step by step. And these are really important things that we all deal with in our real life. To be organized as a professional, you need to have all your ducks in a row, at least most of the time. So even telling them, hey, I have to be organized, so let's do it together. So yeah, providing scaffolding, talked about this a little bit. Um, So think back to if you were able to come up with a driving question, think back to that or a standard that you typically teach, and with your ADHD kids in mind, write down some ideas of how you can help them through this process. So I came up with my question for um, how do tension and compression affect the structure of a building? So again i gave this question and i gave the materials but i didn't tell anybody how to do it but i could have given a checklist so again a big calendar checklist or something you can put on the wall for everybody to see is a useful tool daily check-ins that's pretty important anyway especially um, for your adhd kids or kids that have never done something like this before so daily check-ins or if you have the kids that need it at the beginning of class in the middle of class and at the end of class um, just do what they're what they're going to need and you know building models i'm a big fan of that we're using multiple forms of gathering information so if you're researching you know use the computer go to the library talk to other people maybe there's an engineer at the school you know, or the janitor used to be an engineer. So, you know, bring in your experts that you already have access to. And then building physical models of it. I was just doing a math lesson the other day where we were just talking about lines and angles and planes and segments, and we used popsicle sticks and made a cube to talk about it. So again, all of those, different types of differentiation and adaptations that you do for those ADHD skills, bring them into the PBL environment. So it's really nothing brand new and, and you know revolutionary. It's just piecing together all of the great parts of education that we already do. So before I open up for questions, um, I am more than happy to communicate outside of this you're always welcome to email me, so I have my personal email there. Um, If you want, again, the PowerPoint or any handouts, I'd be happy to pass those on to you as well. Um, The Buck Institute is a fantastic resource, also for project-based learning, and their website is there. Um, They have a really great government and econ curricula for um, high school, and the government one you talk about the constitution but then there's this imaginary country where the students create the constitution using all of the different pieces and econ there's a food court where the students based on um supply and demand they select different restaurants to be in their food court so if you're brand new and a little nervous to try it out i don't definitely recommend getting one of these curricula and they're just they're just fantastic to use so um, some other advice I have have a buddy so um, you know if you have a same grade teacher that you work together a lot with or um, you know just just have some extra support to do it with somebody so you're not going in alone take a chance um, it's kind of a scary big thing to do right away but it's a great way to just try something new and have fun with it. Be a learner with your students. Again, utilize the resources that you have and my little cat meme over there, go with the flow. It's really important to have that flexibility. And then share it. So I just created a Facebook group that I thought would be a great way to share um, projects that we've done or questions that we have and support each other on this online environment. So I haven't put anything on there yet, um, but I just named it Project Based Learning Community. So again, you can email me and I can add you to that, and we can be um, communicating back and forth. So with that, um, I guess we'll open it up for questions.
0: Great. Thank you. That was some wonderful information. So first question, what do you do when half of the students are really excited about a project while there are others who aren't so excited?
1: (laughs) Well, and that will definitely happen. Um, that happens anyway, no matter what we're doing, it seems like, but I would try and stay focused on the students who are very interested or connecting something of interest from the other students who aren't interested. So if you're doing some type of English assignment and the, the students are doing um, maybe a summary of the book, and one of your students who doesn't want to write a paper really likes comic books, have them create it through a comic book, which is a great project anyway. So. And even rewarding the students, so if the students are working together, you know, give that positive feedback to them, saying, look at how great you guys are working together. Um, There's no magical answer, unfortunately, and some students will kind of buy into the idea and then explaining how real life it is that we do this as adults, as professionals in all kinds of jobs. So you can even start out before you do a project, bring people from the community in and say, how do you work with your colleagues? What types of projects do you do? So I think part of of it is setting it up for success, getting them involved.
0: Great, thank you. What about, do you have any tips on how to deal with anxiety when the project has started or time limits are impending?
1: Um, Anxiety for the teacher or anxiety for the students?
0: I believe anxiety (laughs) for the
1: students. (laughs) Okay, Um, because there probably will be some anxiety as the teacher. You know, you have one week until your state exam. Um, Again, just go with the flow. But for students, allow them enough time to get it done. So that's part of going with the flow and taking that chance and being adaptable. So if you plan one week for your project, but you know it's going to take a couple more days, okay. Do that and and just involve the students in that conversation. I know I get a lot of buy-in with my students when I just say, "Hey, I think we're going to need more time for this. What do you guys think?" And you know, I think giving those students that opportunity to to be part of the process, they'll buy in as well as um, ease some of that anxiety. But anxiety in general, I'll branch off just a little bit is, you know, getting up and speaking in front of people, talking with people you don't know. There is a lot of that anxiety there, um, but ease them into the process. So you may start off doing one project in the class period and then scaffold it from there.
0: Great, thank you. Have you ever used project-based learning in an after-school program that is reinforcing concepts that are learned at school? Um, And if so, could you share how that might work?
1: I personally not, but I think that's an even better way to reinforce all of the topics that they learn throughout the day. Um, I think that's a great way to do it because they'd be building on to those skills and then, you know, sharing them with other people. And then the next day or the next unit, they'd have even more background information. So I also haven't seen any research in the last couple of years um, on that topic. So that'd be a great um, thing to start looking into. And if any of you have any experience with that, let's share it on our Facebook page.
0: Great, thank you. Um, Are you aware of any colleges that utilize the PBL method?
1: Well um, actually a lot of the research on project-based learning has taken place in college um, or university settings so this concept is very popular in the medical field because you're always working with something or you're learning how to do something. Also with engineering Um, or art, because you're learning about something and then reproducing it. Um, So my research, my dissertation, I actually did with pre-service teachers at the University of Idaho. So for three semesters, we did it in class to also give them a teaching method that they could use, hopefully, in the future. And the research was all really positive. So I think... It's probably more the liberal arts colleges that will focus on those types of activities, Um, but bigger universities with, you know, your 101, 102 classes are probably going to be less project-based, unfortunately, but they could be done. Um, So that's a great question, and I hope to see more PBL in the future in universities.
0: Great. Thank you. We have a couple of questions about the use of rewards with uh, PBL. So do you use interim rewards for completing each objective with your students? I think, um, and I didn't talk about
1: that, but that is a great way to keep your ADHD kids um, and all of the more normal kids in your classroom motivated to keep going. I would think. You need to know what works in your classroom. Um, for my students, re- rewards don't really work for them, but that's just how I work with them. So they know what I expect, so they do it. So I would think, um, yeah, so look at the reward systems that you already use in your classroom and put those in there. So some of you might reward after each step, and some students might need that. So that's where the differentiation really is easy, so you know who's working on what and what they need to complete that. So, and depending on the age group of students too, I work with high schoolers, so it's a little different. Um, if you were in elementary or even middle school, those rewards might go a lot farther, whether they get more recess time or, you know, they get free computer time or something like that. So I would definitely utilize that if you do or try something else, try something different.
0: great thank you all right a couple of other really good questions that are coming in what challenges um, would you say that teachers might face in implementing pbl and do you have a couple of tips to overcome those challenges
1: Um, i would say the biggest roadblock from going from more traditional to project-based is with the teacher i know the students sometimes aren't familiar with it, but a lot of times the teachers feel uncomfortable with it. And that's, you know, even with my teachers here, I have to help them do it. And I invite them into my classroom and show them how I do it. But it's kind of like you develop your own way, your own teaching style of doing project-based learning. But that, that, I mean, I kind of suggested having a buddy and taking a chance. And, And if you're not very flexible, typically, um, I would work on that and and be flexible with the time. And I know, um, you know, sometimes you know the kids go to PE and they go to music and they go to art. So some of the time limits are very stressful. Um, but being able to just really go with the flow, it's you got to take a chance. It's not going to come easy unless you're comfortable with it. But it definitely is worth it in the end.
0: Great, thank you. Do you have another example of a Common Core standard and turning it into a "how" question that you could that you could give? Um, Someone specifically asked about a reading objective, but I don't know if that's your area of expertise or not.
1: But just (laughs) Um, another. Well, let me pull up my app here. (laughs) It's a great app. Um, So if I'm looking at reading standards. Um, maybe for ninth grade. So, writing for ninth and tenth grade, uh, text and types and purposes. So, this one says write narratives to develop real or imagined experiences or events using effective technique, well-chosen details, and well-structured event sequences. So, this is a great question because the common core standards are, are pretty vague, they just kind of give you the idea of what they want the students to know, so that's where your creativity gets to come in. So maybe you have the students, um, maybe they're reading a biography or they're reading about um, you know a fictional book, but then they need to write some type of narrative for a character. So maybe your whole project could be centered around who this character is and who they are in real life, and how um, they interact with other people. So your creativity gets to come in and how the project looks. So you could say for your question, um, how? I gotta think about this for a second. <laughs> so write narratives to develop real or imagined experiences or events. So. You could ask the students to show what they know about a character and ask what types of experiences would this character have in a different environment, or if they lived in a different country, or if they lived in a different time period. So, a lot of those assignments, you know, in English, I know a lot of English teachers already do those assignments. But if you start framing them as questions and saying, all right, students, I want you to show me that you've learned this material. So if they completed that essay on this character, they would know how to write a narrative or develop real or imagined experiences. So I don't know if that answers it very effectively. But again, if you match your creativity with the standard and using those words in there, um, it would be, you know, pretty easy to do. And again, adding your students into that conversation is helpful because they might have an idea that
0: we haven't thought of before either. Great. Thank you. And what app were you looking at for our participants to know?
1: Um, so it's just called Common Core. And so if you look in your app store or whatever format you use, just type in Common Core Standards and... Um, it's through Mastery Connect. And I think they must be the developers, but they also have one for the next gen science standards. Um, and I think some states have their own. It looks like Florida has theirs. Um, but since I'm a private school, I can follow just the regular Common Core and not specific to a state. But this, so this app is great. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm doing marketing for them, but it gives you a breakdown and drop-down menus. So you can look at a specific grade or a specific subject, and then there's even resources on there too. So it's very useful um, if you're in the moment or if you, you know, a student says, well, why are we learning this? You can always pull it up and say this is why it's important.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. We had someone ask about that. So a couple more questions. This next one I'm not sure if, you will, or if you're will familiar with or not, but they're wondering if you're familiar with any research showing how PBL is helpful to providing diversity, equity, and inclusion work, and if so, how PBL might help create more connections for um, DEI work.
1: Uh, I'm not familiar with any research that's looked at that specifically, but again, PBL is, it's been around for a long time, but people have just recently started researching it. But I think it's a fantastic way for students to bring in different perspectives and you as the teacher providing different um, perspectives about different people or um, all types of diversity. So I uh, think I'm going to write that down so I can start to look into that anyway.
0: Great, thank you. Back to students and project-based learning. So how do you keep your ADHD students from hiding from responsibility in a team setting? (laughs)
1: So we all have to have that conversation about how you work in a group. Right? I even did it with the college students and you know, I kind of made it a, a joking way, but having them, you know, decide what working in a group looks like and how each responsibility is your responsibility and how that could fail your your teammates. So, I always add to my rubrics that there's a self assessment, so they see how much they've done and then how their peers grade them as well. So, and you, as the teacher, you don't necessarily have to have that be part of their actual grade, but it's an important way for the students to be able to communicate that, well, I really need you to participate. And instead of doing the rubric at the final part, you could do one kind of in the middle, more as a formative type assessment of where you know what your students are doing and I think the daily check-in would also really help so if you meet with a student at the end of the class period and they haven't been doing what they need to do and this kind of goes for all students but especially the ones with ADHD to help them see that you know you could potentially be letting your team down but you want to be able to do that so I think um, conversationally that's going to be your biggest push to help them um, you know, be successful and help their group be successful too.
0: Great. Thank you. A couple of questions about if you have any additional resources. So the first one is, do you have any additional resources for finding short term projects such as the spaghetti and marshmallow one you had, you were talking about at the beginning?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I do have some. I've been trying to collect all of my ideas just in a notebook. But um, that would be something I'd be more than happy to share. And um, I know the the Buck Institute has more long-term projects. But I know um, there's a few other websites that have some. So um, I don't have them off the top of my head. But I can email them out, um, as well
0: as post it on our Facebook page. OK, great. Thank you. What about checklists and rubrics? Any resources for those as well? Um,
1: I I don't, again, have them off the top of my head, but I'd be happy to share the ones that I have, um, and some that I've adapted from other resources, too. So as teachers, we're really good at looking what other people have done and then putting our own little spin on it. Um, So that's definitely what I recommend to get started. But I, again, would be happy to
0: share mine Okay, great. And then we're going to finish up with one question. We had a participant who asked, who inputted her driving question on here. So um, I think you can see it and I'll read it out loud. So instead of going to war, would the American colonists have been better off remaining a British colony? And then her question about this was she was wondering, would you break it down into economics, cost of life, comparing, the current U.S. government to Canada or Australia, how how might you begin to break the project down? Okay,
1: um, first of all, this is a great question. Um, it got me thinking about all kinds of things right away, and that's what you really want is to spark that interest and be like, oh, well, what if that happened? Um, so breaking it down into economics, cost of living, or comparing government systems, um, I would put it all in there. But if this is your first time doing it, you may want to start with one or two. So the important part is that you're giving your students all of the resources. So you could talk about economics for a couple days and you could talk about cost of living and 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 life and how you know all of those things happen. And then different governments. So you could set it up a couple weeks before you actually start the project. And that's a good way to scaffold your students and yourself into the process of PBL. But then um, you could also just give them all of those resources. So those may be more advanced students or students that have done PBL before or, you know, if they're high school or college level. But I think if you set it up a week or two before with those different topics that you want them to cover, is really important and the example that i gave about the green river utah project where or excuse me the san juan islands kayaking trip um, we spent two weeks before they went on the trip talking about ecology and native american populations there and other things that are centered around that area so when they went there they already knew a little bit but then they could tie it back to their bigger project so that's definitely what i would suggest
0: Okay, great, thank you. Well, this is all the time we have for our webinar today. So, thank you so much, Susan, for a wonderful presentation and to our participants for taking the time to join us today.
1: Want school mornings to be stress-free? Planning the night before can make mornings run more smoothly for you and your child. Place a basket or box by the front door for backpacks, lunch boxes, coats, jackets, and whatever else your child might need to grab on their way out. For more tips to get the school year started right, go to the CHAD website, wwwhelp That's www. Dot .help and the number 4 adhd.org